0: I would like to read a, a short passage from Sun is Flowing today, this is a its a book about the life and teachings of Ajahn Chah, who is sort of the, who is really the grandfather of our lineage, somewhere, somewhere, is he over there, yeah, <laughs> right there, yeah, <laughs> oh I forgot, he's always staring me down from back there if you need to, you need to wake up during your meditation, just look at that fellow on the back wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was written by a, a senior monk in our tradition about Ajahn Chah, and it's his biography uh, with a with an emphasis on his teachings. And it's one of those, you know, it's a very long book. It's, you know, it might take a few years to get through. And the main reason is that it's so inspiring. You know, read a little bit, put it down, go practice. <laughs> read a little bit, put it down, go practice. Years go by, but, and you've practiced for years. So this is a passage um, early in Ajahn Chah's uh, development as a monk. He is going to see his, um, a senior monk before him in Thailand named uh, Ajahn Mun Alangpu Most of the resident monks are sitting with eyes closed in meditation, one slightly behind the teacher, slowly fanning away the evening's mosquitoes. As Longpur glances up, that's Ajahn Chah, as Longpur glances up, he notices how prominently Langpur Mun's collarbone juts through the pale skin above his robe and how his thin mouth, stained red from chewing betel nut, forms such an arresting contrast to the strange luminosity of his presence. As is the time-honored custom amongst Buddhist monks, Wang Pumang first asks the visitors how long they have been in robes, what monasteries they have practiced in, and the details of their journey. Did they have any doubts about the practice? Wang Ajancha replies that he does. It is at this point that he was later to take up the story himself. He said he had been studying the Vinaya texts with great enthusiasm. The Vinaya texts are the Buddha's instructions on how monks should live in the world. The rules, essentially. He had been studying the Vinaya text with great enthusiasm, but had become discouraged. The disciples seemed, the discipline seemed too detailed to be practical. It didn't seem possible to keep every single rule. What should one standard be? Wang Puman listened in silence. Then he gave simple but practical advice. He advised Langpur, Ajahn Chah, to take the two guardians of the world, wise shame, hiri, and wise fear of consequences, otapa, as his basic principles. In the presence of those two virtues, he said, everything else would follow. It's always a risk uh, to talk about hiri and otapa uh, because of the early translation into English as shame and fear. <laughs> does it, we don't, that doesn't feel good, <laughs> does it? <laughs> to take shame and fear as our guiding principles. And that what Westerners sort of glaze over right away is the wise. The adjective wise, wise shame, wise fear, and uh, later some very wise monks in our tradition began to recouch those terms as uh, conscience and concern. Now, conscience and concern, I can get behind. That feels really good. I know what my conscience my conscience is, and I know what it feels like to be concerned for other creatures, for other living beings, that those terms are um, really accessible to my heart and in my experience. We have to remember that, you know, this, is an ancient tradition you know it's 2600 years old it started in another country on another part of the planet and then our tradition is thai you know which is removed from india and removed from the west completely and so you know, the translations, the interpretations of these terms have um, but, hmm, changed over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. But it's important to connect with their original intention, with the original teachings. The guardians of the world. The Buddha called Hiri and Otapa the guardians of the world. Lately, I've been writing this little children's book in my head about two friends called Hiri and Otapa. <laughs> and Hiri <clears throat> is um, really sensitive, you know. And when he's sort of transgressed, somebody else's space, their um, ability to, you know, do good and feel ease in their own lives, he feels that. He feels that strongly. He has a very strong conscience and he knows when he's done something that is really out of balance. And then his buddy Otapa is actually a little bit older than him. And Otapa can tell in advance <laughs> when he's about to step off the path, when he's about to do something uh, that's gonna hurt somebody else. And together, you know, Kiri and Otapa really can do no wrong i mean they're really good together because one of them can see when he's about to hurt someone else or behave unskillfully um, or transgress his own compass and the other one uh, can see it in retrospect And I think that in this path, uh, we are always developing a stronger and stronger hiri and otapa, a stronger conscience about uh, our own transgressions, things that we've done in the past, uh, things that we um, maybe did before we started living in a little cleaner and a little safer, and a little kinder way, Um, things that affected other people. And, um, you know, slowly we move into a place where we can see it coming. Oh, you know, if I stop now, (laughs) I won't say the thing that's going to cause that harm. Or if I stop now, I won't, you know, take something that belongs to me. If I stop now, I won't um, transgress this relationship that's really important to me. It's a, it it can be, my experience, you know, is that it it, it can be a bumpy process (laughs) to get from I see it in my rear view mirror too. I see it through my windshield and, you know, we have to go that, that conscience, you know, the hearing, the um, kind of this wise shame, isn't shame at all, is a feeling, or at least in the Western, you know, vernacular, it's a feeling in the body. You know when we think about a way that we hurt somebody in the past either intentionally or unintentionally we feel it it's not a good feeling especially if we're on a path and we've been reflecting and we're making um, efforts to really live in goodness now I can think of things that I've done in my past and I could to do it right now <laughs> Try not to go through the catalog <laughs> but some of those things still bring up like my face will get red and my heart will start beating or get a little hot flash <laughs> if you're already prone to hot flashes and then you think of something you did that wasn't very kind it can bring them right on mm-hmm. friends <laughs> just so you know feel it in the body we don't actually need to drown in any kind of feeling of um, shame or regret because um, just a a natural remorse will arise and if we're doing this work if we're doing the reflecting, you know to progress on the path then we can actually delight in that sense of remorse you know to a degree. Oh, that really hurt. Wow, I can tell that was wrong. It doesn't feel great. I don't want to do it again. You know, it's like a little kid. You know, when my <laughs> when my uh, son was two or something, we used to have these big uh, kind of pancake breakfasts for him outside his. Uh, his birthday's in October so it was always an iffy time to be outside Um, but we wanted to give back to all the people that had supported us since he was born Uh, every year so we would just start these big pancake breakfasts at a park um, in in October and uh, one day I mean he was maybe not two maybe three or four and one day we had pancakes going, the griddle going, and of course, as kids do, he reached up and just, pssst, you know, burned himself right on the griddle because he couldn't tell that it was there. He just wanted to be part of things. And uh, my cat—this is literally seared into his memory. He—he he knows when pancakes are a cooking. <laughs> Stay back. And our behaviors are just like that. If we burn ourselves on the griddle, if we do it ourselves, (laughs) we're going to be reminded of that pain when we try to do it again. And there is um, otapa, isn't it? It's that fear, that wise fear of wrongdoing. So it's not a fear Wise fear is not a fear that we're going to be punished by another person, that we're going to be you know, given a consequence that we can't get through. Um, a wise fear is remembering the pain of causing a problem and shying away from it the next time. Uh, it's an internal process. It doesn't have anything to do With how it might be perceived by others. That's the wisdom part. The wisdom part is that it's our mistake to deal with. I like the concept of of hearing Otapa for for just the reason that that Long Humung says. Because, um, you know. It's hard to remember all the rules (laughs) and it's hard to keep everything straight and especially, you know, if we're prone to anxiety or in a new situation or with new people, you know, we can very quickly fall into our old habits or we can't get a read on, on, you know, really what to bring to a situation. But if we're relying on the guardians of the world, we're relying on um, that conscience, you know, that, that body memory of having, uh, made a mistake in the past and not wanting to repeat that. If we're relying on, um, you know, kind of this, uh, intuitive maintaining space from hurting again, Uh, then we will be able to bring safety for ourselves and for others into any situation we walk into, anything, anywhere. Now, many of you know this, uh, but our our sort of our home monastery, the monastery that this place grew out of is called Abayagiri. And Abayagiri means um, fearless mountain. Abaya is fearless and uh, Gary's Mountain. And again, that word fear, right? But what fearlessness is uh, in this tradition is, is you know, a, a commitment, an intention to uh, be in the, in the world in a way that others don't have to fear us. Again, this internal process. It's not, you know, about us not being in fear, right? Like we have to work that through. Um, But our our job, our work, our practice is um, essentially anchored in building a life that is safe for others to be in. So whether that's, you know, working on ways to speak to people, uh that don't cause confusion (laughs) and anger speech is the hardest one because we're always talking i'm up here talking right now it's terrifying (laughs) so you know it's like monkeys and monkeys and typewriters isn't it if i keep talking (laughs) eventually i'm gonna say something (laughs) that's less than skillful there's just uh it's statistical (laughs) And so speech is really difficult Uh, and knowing it's difficult is is half the battle. Then there's grace, right? Uh, And, you know, also, you know, not taking things that don't belong to us, you know, not sort of mindlessly just gathering stuff as we go um setting a mindset of uh, letting go of generosity of giving rather than you know chasing pulling in pulling in pulling in uh, that's our work and with uh, hiri and Otapa these two friends one who has foresight and one who has hindsight Uh, we can really bring this whole, um, this whole, this kind of wraparound um, experience, intention of goodness. And then when we, you know, make a mistake anyway, or um, hurt someone anyway, or take something anyway, or say something anyway, it is held in this wraparound attention. There's a place to, we've got this um, foundation for reflecting on it. So we don't have to go into, you know, a shame spiral. We don't have to um, sort of walk down that road that we did as kids to stay safe. You know, if I do something wrong, someone else is going to punish me. Right? That's how we, many of us, grew up. Uh, but in, in this, this and Otapa space, it, um, there's only encouragement for reflection and, um, you know, at times, making amends and moving forward. Because if we don't move forward, if we don't progress on the practice, Uh, then we're not progressing in that safety. And that's ultimately what we want to bring into a room. It's what we want to bring into our lives.